Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Deeper Daily Podcast. It's the 10th day of November, and I'm your host, Paul White. Thanks for joining me as we continue in the Apostles' Creed, and today we get to the line, the forgiveness of sins. One of the things that we believe in as followers of Christ is the forgiveness of sins. We believe in it as a byproduct of what's happened on the cross. We believe in it as a personal possession that my sins are forgiven, and we believe in it as a blanket corporate statement for the world. He who come to take away the sin of the world. I don't think it's possible to follow Jesus and not believe in the forgiveness of sins. It's so easily identifiable as his chief trait. When he walks the earth in the Gospels, he forgives sinners. When Paul writes of Jesus or Christ and the finished work through the epistles, it has to do with forgiveness of sins. And there's no one that's ever come to Christ who didn't come to Christ under the knowledge that they were having their sins forgiven or that their sins were already forgiven. Let me open with a text from Paul. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in him, and of course, him is Christ, in him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And I don't want to exegete this entire verse. It really has two points. We've been redeemed by the blood means we've been bought from something. We've been bought bought out from the powers of the world by the blood of Jesus, and we've been forgiven of our sins. And this happened because God's good, because God is gracious. Now, I picked one passage. We could have picked a lot of passages that regard the forgiveness of sins, the taking away of sin, the not counting transgressions against us. But with all of that said, interestingly enough, the earliest forms of the creed do not contain the phrase forgiveness of sins. In fact, it doesn't actually start to show up in the creed until the 4th century, late in the 4th century. And why that is significant is because of what had happened in the middle of the 4th century. Around the middle of the 4th century, the Roman emperor Constantine converted to Christianity and almost immediately co-opted the cross and the message of Christ as the new message driving the Roman Empire in that time. Just before Constantine's conversion to Christianity, The persecution against Christians across the Roman Empire had reached another apex. It went through quite a persecution in the first century, but by the early fourth century, Christians were dying right and left. Forgive what what seems blasé to say it that way, but I don't know another way to say it. They were dying wholesale. And not just that, but it wasn't just just a life and death kind of persecution. It was a persecution that had to do with even the very scriptures themselves. Um, Rome was commissioning its agents to go into the followers of Christ and burn up all of their, their written scriptures. They were really trying to put a suppression and an end to the passing along of written scripture, all these scribal copies that were being made 
Now, the scriptures now realize that the Bible as we know it had not yet been codified. And so there was a lot of scripture, quote unquote, scripture out there. And I say, quote unquote, because a lot of it we might not have even recognized. They could have been letters from apostles. They would have been letters that we might consider pseudepigraphal or apocryphal. But these were being burned and destroyed by the Roman Empire. And the refusal to give those books up would lead to incarceration or even death. And so there was a great split in the church as to what it really meant to be a Christian. Did it, was grace so powerful that even if you denied Christ in a moment of crisis and and maybe you gave up your copies of the scriptures in order to save your own hide, did that cost you your soul? Uh, And these were the great debates of the early fourth century. How do we move forward? Once Constantine made persecution of Christians illegal. You talk about a day and night proposition. On one, in one era, one generation, it's illegal to be a Christian. And then almost overnight, it is illegal to persecute Christians, making Christianity not only acceptable, but in some cases mandatory. And the moment you make Christianity mandatory, you take away the aspect of free will. It is no longer that you have sought after Christ and accepted him because he loves you. You accepted a religion because you had to. And of course, that's not what Christianity is based upon. It's supposed to be based upon love. So once that happens, you get this flip in the middle of the fourth century, and now it's mandatory or it's definitely acceptable. and You can't be persecuted to be a Christian. And so now we got a new challenge. And the new challenge is that the church has to find its footing in the midst of this. This is actually what causes the monastic move where a lot of a lot of church leaders leave the cities and they leave the organized churches and they go out into the monasteries and they live a monk's lifestyle. A lot of that was pushback against the secularism of the 4th century church because they thought once the church becomes co-opted by the empire I don't want to be a part of it, but I don't want to leave Jesus. And so the idea was, well, there's really no way around this. Let's go out into the wilderness. And they did. Uh, not everybody, but a, a, a large percentage. And the only, and the really the only good thing that came out of that was a absolute proliferation of written scripture that was birthed out of those monasteries. And so that was the positive and what was otherwise, I think, probably a negative move. You don't want to take believers out of the darkness uh, lest the darkness win. Um, so there were people who stayed, and there were people who who fought for the right, I guess you could say, and who fought against this co-opt of empire. But those who were sort of holding on to a version of purity that said we were faithful during the persecution, a large movement rose up at the end of the 4th century that created its own sect of the church that refused to accept fellowship with those who had succumbed to persecution. And they would not take them in as part of the church. And so there was a split in the church, really, because some thought it was their job to purge Christ's church of these betrayers. And so if you didn't do well during the great persecution, we don't want you to be a part of our group now. So right about that time, the creed gets this inserted, We believe in the forgiveness of sins because the original purpose for that dropping in at that point in church history was because 
the church, which is supposed to be the bastion of forgiveness, refused to forgive her own. And those who had the foresight of the Holy Spirit realized that what the church needed was not a revival to a time when no one made mistakes. It needed a revival to a time when those who made mistakes were welcomed home. Keep that in mind when you talk about forgiveness of sins. We're going to do some more work on this tomorrow. We'll see you then. God bless.